Hey guys, welcome to Pillar Talk. Let's get into it. All right, today we're going to cover our second pillar. Uh, our first full episode, we talked a lot about people. There's plenty more to talk about with people, but um, want to move on to product, right? Our second of our four pillars is our product. And for most of you listening, you know, our target audience is definitely the post-acute care setting, specifically skilled nursing facilities, assisted living, independent living, and, you know, the broader healthcare um, care setting in general. Uh, so we want to talk a lot about that product. And a lot of times the product is our care that we're providing and the quality of care that we're providing. But there's a lot of other things that go into that. So um, I want to talk about it, have a few things to say, certainly. And again, much like people, there's a lot more layers to product. But I think there's some good overview things that we should keep in mind while we're assessing a product, improving a product, trying to focus on what we can do to make the most impact in a short amount of time and the things that are going to improve our overall quality, which is the ultimate goal of why most of us got into this care setting and why most of us continue to stay in it. Um, so one thing, you know, start with a little bit of a, a story. When I first got into post-acute care, um, started at a small skilled nursing facility uh, in Colorado Springs. Uh, it was named Cedarwood Healthcare Center. Um, was part of Sava Senior Care. Uh, we'll tell you that story, more of that story another time. But at the time that I started uh, in the month of May, um, they had had you know eight admissions for the entire calendar year. And this was a very, you know, the physical plant was very run down. The outside of the facility was painted battleship gray with some like Christmas tree green trim. So it looked looked pretty rough um, across the street. I remember one of the first days shortly after I started, there was like a, a news crew at a house across the street and the administrator had to go ask them, to please not get our sign kind of in their shot um, as it was something to do with like a drug bust, you know, methamphetamines and things like that. So not a great location. Um, one other one other challenge was our name was Cedar Wood and the local behavioral health hospital in Colorado Springs uh, was it is still called Cedar Springs. So there was quite a bit of confusion. Um, we often got referrals for residents with major mental illness and challenges there. Um, and honestly, we we accepted a lot of those residents. And so we really teetered, you know, on the brink of being over, which is being over the, the maximum number of residents in our facility that we could uh, that had major mental illness in, in Colorado you have to stay below kind of that 50% threshold, you know, 50% of your, your population um, of your total census, sh you should be below 50% for folks that have a primary or secondary diagnosis of major mental illness. And we always were kind of teetering on, on that edge. Um, 
just based on, you know, the type of referrals that we got and what we were able to admit um, and our association due to our name. So started, started, didn't know what I was doing, didn't know what I was getting into, but certainly was full of energy, excited, um, wanted to, wanted to make a difference. Um, you know, sometimes when, when things go well, most of the time when things go well in life in any situation, uh, a lot of it is your preparation, your hard work, but there's some luck involved too. And so, like I said, they had eight, eight admissions year to date, uh, through the month of May or till mid-May, so five months. So they were not a busy facility by any stretch. Um, but my second Friday at the facility, they we had eight admissions scheduled for that day. So for all you nurses listening, you know, I was super popular. People really were happy with me um, and this crazy new sales guy that was going to bring us all kinds of admissions. Um, so things started to change very rapidly right from the beginning. You know, the way that we went about doing things started to change. Um, the number of residents that we had to take care of started to change. Um, and the pride of ownership, the way that we went about ourselves started to change. A lot of that had to do with the leadership in the facility. Um, really great administrator that cared a ton. A, a fantastic director of nursing that went on to be a regional, um, ended up being a licensed administrator as well. Um, and just just a fantastic team that really cared a ton about people and focused on their product, right? And that was before I even knew what was going on. I really didn't understand. I was totally green, totally brand new. And all I knew is that I had to go to the hospital <clears throat> and convince the case managers to give me referrals versus everyone else. So we'll get into that another time. But essentially, um, the team focused enormously on the product. And over a short period of time, they moved the dime from a one-star facility to a four-star facility from um, an overall star rating standpoint. And immediately, overnight, my job became a lot easier. All of a sudden, we were able to do things that we weren't able to do before in terms of the referrals that we were getting. We were getting some higher quality referrals, some premium payers where we were getting folks without major mental illness. We were able to compete with some of the nicer, fancier, newer competitors in the area. And the company took note of that too. And they also, they, they started to invest in us. So that battleship green got turned into like a, a, a nice tan with a dark brown trim. We converted some old semi-private rooms into large private suites. We started to focus on our rehab. We started to focus on things that really this team had never focused on before. And this pride of ownership started to swell. People wanted to work there. People wanted to be part of the team. People wanted to come there for care. And so really the main thing that had changed was the product at that point. We went from being across the street from a meth house and being associated with the local mental health facility to getting premium referrals and nothing changed. Our location didn't change. The paint didn't change at first. Um, the physical plant didn't change at first, right? We started to invest in things, but what's, there was a belief and there was a pride of ownership and there was a product that started to improve. And so we started doing better. You know, we started financially doing better. There was a lot of outcomes that started to be associated with the behaviors, but it, what, that's not what we were focused on. We were focused on making a really good product, providing high quality care, taking care of our people, taking care of our residents, um, and, and we had a lot of success. And it, it, honestly, that springboarded my career 
put me on the map allowed me to be recognized and acknowledged because from a census standpoint, when I started there, Saba owned 185 buildings. That was building 185 out of 185 across the country. And for a number of months before I was promoted, we were number one out of 185. And so that whole experience really changed the trajectory of my career. Um, and honestly, I credit a lot of what we did there to everything I talk about today and why I still <clears throat> am super passionate about this care setting and what we're doing and the ability that we have to impact lives and people. So I wanted to share that as we get into talking about products. So I, I see... The, I have experience, and that's one of a hundred stories I have that are around um, the difference it makes to have a really good quality product, the difference it makes in pride, in staff, in residents, in families, in surveys, in retention, in performance. Um, people discredit it too much. They dismiss it too much, and they think you can outsell it, but you can't. Um, you, got, you have to have a good product. You have to provide high quality care. And today, you know, that story I'm telling you is from over 15 years ago. But today, you know, it's even more important because now the federal and the local state governments are scrutinizing things so critically. And we have to really focus on the quality of care and the quality of a product that we provide. So it's a big deal. So a couple things before we get into a couple tactical items, just wanted to share that story. Thanks for listening. Um, hopefully, hopefully you can relate to it. Um, the biggest thing with everything we're going to talk about, every pillar we talk about, everything I talk about in general is just continue to remember the concept of simple versus easy. Everything we're going to talk about is very simple. None of it's very easy, right? And and same same is true for your product. What we're going to talk about of how to improve a product, how to make sure that you have a competitive product, how to assess things. It's simple. They're all simple processes. Now, the execution is where the complexity comes in um, because it is difficult. You have to commit time. You have to be committed to it. You have to fight through adversity. You have to not give up. That's really truly the only time you will fail is when you quit. So in order to do that, you have to be willing to do the work, which is hard. It's not easy, but it's very simple work. Just just takes a little bit of guts, takes a whole bunch of heart. Um, the other thing is there is no magic wand. This is not a quick fix. If you have a product today that's very broken, if you have a one-star facility, if you have a tremendous amount of turnover, if you have you know really underperforming census, if you have any number of things that we deal with, really bad regulatory, you know, annual survey, if your QMs are rough, you know, all of those things, those, again, there's not an easy fix. And I would challenge anybody to think, you know, a lot of times people, I've been around a lot of guys, a lot of leaders that will say, hey, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? What would you fix? If you could just fix something today, what would it be? Um, and I, I want to challenge everybody that's listening to think about that. The idea of a magic wand seems like a cool idea. One, it doesn't exist. Two, would you really want it to exist? Would you really want a magic wand? Would you want to be able to snap your fingers and fix a problem? Your first reaction is probably yes. But if you think about it a little bit deeper, I feel like it's a disservice to yourself because where you grow and where you learn a skill set and where you learn how to be a great leader and how to be able to duplicate success is through the process, is through the grind, is through doing it. 
So if you were able to snap your fingers, you would miss out on so many lessons, so many opportunities, so many things. It's like the idea of, you know, a kid that grows up with a silver spoon in their mouth. They get this inheritance like you didn't build anything. Right. So that all goes away. You don't have any skills left to build something. So hesitate to think, hey, I, w- I wish I could just fix this overnight. Embrace the process, embrace the grind of fixing your product, because then you'll be able to go to another place and fix the product again, because you know what works, you know what doesn't work, you know how to make adjustments, you know you're able to do it, you build a ton of confidence in yourself. So don't be afraid of the work. And it's not quick, but don't be afraid of it. All right, a couple other things real quick is want everybody to think of college football. Even if you're not a college football fan, you probably know about that one of the greatest college football teams in the history of college football is the University of Alabama, and arguably the greatest coach in the history of college football is Nick Saban. Whether you're a fan or not, doesn't matter. I'm not, but I am a fan of greatness, so I definitely study Nick Saban, um, and I appreciate his approach to everything he does, especially in his 70s. He's out there working his ass off at practice, running between drills, and he does everything he asks those those young men to do, and he he gets results. So whether you like them or not doesn't matter. But one thing to keep in mind that he always does is they practice and they run plays, not until they get the play right, but rather until they can't get it wrong. And that is a significant difference. There is a huge difference between doing something until you get it right versus doing something until you cannot get it wrong. And you really should embrace that mentality with your product as you're trying to build and improve the quality of care that you provide. It's not like once we get it right one time, we're good. No, we have to do these things every day, every time until we can't get them wrong so that our product is sustainable. Our quality is sustainable. Our QM start to improve. Our surveys start to improve. Our our staff retention starts to improve. You've got to really have that mindset, that grind of we're doing this not to get it right. We're doing it so that we will never get it wrong in the future. And continue that again, back to the last point of embrace the work, embrace the suck. There's going to be some of it. All right. Last point um, before we talk a little bit about tactical things is just really um, focus on on being the best at every given task around improving your product. If you focus on being the best versus focusing on the result, which is what honestly I think a lot of poor leadership folks do. All right. Imagine if you're wanting to get in shape and every day all you do is get on the scale, you look at a number, and now you're discouraged because that number isn't going the direction you want it to. Or you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, and so now you're, you're not motivated and you don't take the steps that you need to do. But if you create behaviors that you know are going to help you achieve your goals, whether those are weight loss goals, whether those are fitness goals, whether those are professional goals, you have to understand what behaviors are going to get you there. And then you're the, if you focus on being the best at each one of those behaviors, ultimately the results are going to follow, right? If we focus on the behaviors versus the results, the results are a byproduct of what you do. When you're overweight, It's not because you're big boned. It's not because you're, you know, you just chose to be fat. It's not any of those things. It's because you've made shitty decisions leading up to a point where now you're not happy with it, with the result. Those are the standards that you failed to get to a place that you don't want to be. 
Now you have to go fix the standards in order to fix the outcome, right? That's Ed Milet talks a ton about that around his goal setting concepts and genius, genius business guy, genius leader, genius motivational um, speaker and, and, and human developer that the idea of those standards, right? That's what's important is how do you create standards that are going to get you the results? How many times do we get on calls about census or cash or collections or survey outcomes or quality metrics or staff retention, turnover, all these things. Those are all outcomes that we got to that someone's either happy with or unhappy with, but no one talks about the way we got there. So then we can't duplicate success and we can't avoid future failure. So really what you have to look at is creating behaviors or standards. Those words are interchangeable in my opinion. Behaviors or standards that are going to lead to the results that you want. When you focus on the standards or the behaviors, results follow. So get away from focusing on the result, focusing on the outcome, because sometimes that outcome, that goal, that thing we want to achieve is so damn far away that it's overwhelming. It's discouraging. It's difficult. You feel like there's not an end in sight. So you have to take it and chop it into pieces daily tasks that you can do that you know if you stay committed to them, you do them every day and you do them until you cannot fail, you won't fail. The outcomes will come. The outcomes will be there. They're a byproduct of the behavior. It's proven. It's, it is a given fact that if you stick to it, you stick to a plan, you're going to get to your outcome. So again, remember, it's simple. It's not easy. It's not quick. There's no magic wand. You can't snap your fingers, but that's a good damn thing because you're going to learn some very valuable skill sets as you go through the process and you do the work. So don't be afraid of the work. Do it until you can't get it wrong. Not until you get it right, but until you can't get it wrong. That's an important difference. And then focus on, on being the best at every task, at every single standard. Be the best at that standard and then you'll get the best outcomes. Don't try to look at the outcomes and work your way backwards. You'll go crazy. It seems too far away. All right. So that's kind of the framework, right? Those are the things that we got to keep in mind. They're not quick. It's not easy. It's, um, it's something that you're going to have to work at every day, put in a ton of work and that you're going to have to focus on being the best. If you can do those things, then you can apply that framework to a few of the things we're going to talk about. So. I think the, we've already talked about this a little bit, but I think it's incredibly important to say, and I think more senior leaders need to hear this and understand, uh, especially in today's environment where facilities are changing hands pretty often. There's new people that aren't from this care setting getting into ownership and they have some unrealistic expectations and it's not right, in my opinion, but you have to understand, people need to understand, senior leaders especially need to understand that you can't outsell a bad product. No matter what we do, now you can temporarily, right? You can certainly, I went and got eight admissions on a Friday of a building that looked like a battleship across the street from a meth house that was confused with a mental health hospital that hadn't had eight admissions, you know, had only had eight admissions a whole year. You can do it. You can do it. It is possible but it is not sustainable. And that is what people need to realize and be understanding of that, hey, as an owner, this is a risk that you take by getting into these buildings that aren't where they need to be from a product standpoint. You need to put in the work 
And you need to get the product right before you start holding people accountable around growth or revenue or census or fill in the blank, whatever. You have to, you cannot. Today's environment, you cannot outsell a bad product. We owe it to ourselves to build the product and then sell the product. Now, you can do it simultaneously. got to keep the lights on, right? There's ways to do that. There are things that you have to be willing to do. Um, I, I hate to say it this way, and, and I'll probably say it wrong, but when you are a one-star facility or a struggling facility, the quality of referral, and, and this is why I hate to say it this way because we're talking about humans, but the quality of referral that you're willing to accept is probably going to be different than when you're a five-star facility there probably is a difference there. And that's just the reality of the the environment that we're in. But you have to have a plan of how to keep the lights on and then a plan on how to get yourself beyond that to the next step, to the next step, creating those standards. It's going to help you achieve your quality goal and have a solid product that can compete with anybody in the neighborhood. Again, you can outsell it temporarily, but it is not sustainable and so you have to really focus on understanding how to create a product that people can be proud of because another thing that people do not talk about with a bad product is how significantly a bad product contributes to your turnover, contributes to employee burnout, contributes to more concerned families, which means more work for you contributes to more, now we do talk about this, but more difficult survey cycles, right? All of these things burn people out, frustrate them. The opposite is true. When you have a good product, the surveyors are a little kinder. I know they're supposed to be objective, but let's be real. They're not. And so the better the environment feels, maybe they're going to tone it down a little bit give you a little bit more of a fair shot at a good annual survey. They're going to assume best intentions when they know you're working on it. Your staff's going to have pride and ownership. They're not going to get burned out as quickly because now they see the fruits of their labor. They see that things are getting better. They feel good about the care they're providing. And so they stick around and they want to be part of this story versus being worried about their license, worried about the association of their reputation and the, and the poor quality that we're providing. So there's a lot of byproducts, bad, negative byproducts of not having a good product. And there's a lot of good things that can happen if you can fix it. So it has to be a huge priority. So let's talk about a couple of things around how to think about at least. We're not going to get into the details of truly how to fix your product. It's different for every single facility. It's different for every single person. So I'd be wasting your time if I were to say, hey, look, I have I have the playbook that you just need to do this, this, and this, and you're going to be great. I have the framework. Now, the specific tactical steps for your facility, we, you, know, you have to look at that. You have to create that. But I do know a couple of things that you have to start with a very honest assessment. You have to look at where your product is today and be honest with yourself and be honest about the causes, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you have to look some self-reflection and say, you know what, me as director of nursing, I haven't led these people as well as I should have. I haven't trained these CNAs to the level that they should be at to be a caregiver in, in this facility. I, you know, we're, we're coming off the heels of 
COVID and maybe maybe getting back into it a little bit. Like, oh, don't get me started on that. But, you know, we have a lot of caregivers that joined our workforce two, three years ago during a state of emergency, maybe got some certification online, popped into a facility covered in all kinds of PPE and said, hey, there, go hit the floor. Let's rock and roll. And now we're expecting them to be the way that people, you know, be able to execute the way people were trained before COVID. And it's like, that's a totally different environment. That's a totally different world where we haven't given these people the tools to execute at a high level. And now our product suffers, but we want to point the finger at them and say, they're just not doing it. They're just not getting it. Well, have you trained them? Have you supported them? Have you rolled up your damn sleeves and shown them how to do it? And do they know that you're willing to do every single thing you ask them to do? Like there's take you got to have some self-reflection. You got to look in the mirror and say, have I done everything to make this product the best possible product that we can do? And maybe you can say yes, but most of the time, if you're being honest with yourself, you probably can't say yes to that question. Right? So start with an honest assessment. Remember, it is always the darkest before dawn, right? It is always the scariest before something good is about to happen. It is always the time when you want to quit is the time you need to stick with it the most every single time. So honest assessment, see where you are, where are we starting and where do we want to go? That will help you define your standards. You have to first understand where you are, right? Remember our our fitness analogy, sit down with yourself, figure out where you're at. Where do you want to go? You know, do you have a cruise coming up? And so you want to be in swimsuit condition. Okay. Well, now we got to figure out exactly what we need to do to get there. And it's a combination of things, right? It's not one thing. It's not just your diet. You know, it's, it's your diet, your exercise, your alcohol intake, your water intake, you know, your mental health, all of those things contribute. Same idea within a facility. Where are we at today? We're a one-star facility. We don't do great with with really anything, but you know what we do a really good job with? We do a really good job with skin. We're great at taking care of wounds. We're great at healing wounds. And in every single facility, there is something that people are good at. There is something that people care about, and there's something that people do good. You can always find something that's going very well, and you can always find stuff that's not going very well in every single facility. It doesn't matter where you are in the country or who you're providing care to. Those two statements are true for everybody. And so really do that honest assessment, really give yourself a plan around or or identify where you are today, current state, and what do you want the future state to be? Then you can put standards together to help you down a clear path that will get you to your desired state. So another big thing, it's huge with that honest assessment, do not wait for conditions to improve. Do not wait for conditions to be perfect. They're never going to be perfect. They're never going to be the way you want them to be. So you have to get to work. If you continue to push stuff off, then you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get to where you want to be. You're just going to delay the inevitable, right? You're going to delay and the problems are going to still exist. They're still going to be there. It's going to be hard to get started, but it's also going to be hard to not start. So you really have to choose your hard. Do you want to get to work? and start making progress? Or do you want to keep delaying it and then deal with all the bad outcomes on the other end? Because either way, it's going to be difficult. Like I said, it's not easy. Simple, not easy. So start with an honest assessment. Big part of it. 
All right. And then as you're doing that assessment, as you're creating your standards, you have to have mitigation plans, right? Things always change. Problems always happen. Um, Everybody in this audience definitely understands that our environment changes day to day, hour to hour. A new admission changes everything. A new condition changes everything. A call off changes everything. And so you have to have mitigation plans for all of your, you know, for your goals, right? We're trying to get to desired state. So in order to get there, we have to understand what we're going to do when something bad happens. Not if, because it's not if. Something bad is going to happen and probably something bad is going to happen every single day. You know, different degrees of bad, but something that you do not desire to happen is going to occur in your center with your staff, with yourself, with someone every single day. Some of those are going to be business related. Some of those are going to be personal, but it's going to happen. So what is your mitigation plan for each of those items? What are you going to do when you get a bad complaint survey? doesn't go the way you want. How are you going to address things? What are you going to do when you get that call off? Who's your next person to call? How are you going to avoid burning out your best people? Every time someone calls off, do you call the same two or three people? You're going to burn those folks out. When you're focused on census, when you're focused on growing revenue, when you're focused on the business, what are you going to do about discharges? What are we going to do? People are getting better and they're going home or they're getting sicker and they're going back to the hospital or inevitably people in this care setting pass away. Like those things are going to happen. You know they're going to happen. So what are you going to do about them? Look at your mitigation plan. Look at your plan, your desired state where you want to go, the standards you're creating, and then have a plan for all the stuff that can and will go wrong. If you don't have a mitigation plan, you're going to be unprepared when something goes wrong and then you're going to get away from your standards. You're going to get laser focused on an issue and you're going to forget about all the progress that you're making, all the work you're doing, all the things you're trying to contribute to this desired state, right? We're going to get focused, we're going to get distracted, and we're going to end up being off the path and now we're back at square one. So mitigation plans will help you prepare for adverse events and what to do because when you're in a stressful environment, your mind's not working as well as when you're not. So if you can put the tactical things together before the stress is induced, now you can think clearly. Now you can make decisions in real time and now you can execute and something that could have turned into a huge problem stays pretty manageable. So make sure you have mitigation plans. All right, here's the big one. Here's the big one, right? Everyone right now, oh yeah, Chris, this sounds pretty good. You sound you sound like a little bit like you know what you're talking about, but you're on a podcast, you're not in our facility, you're not living our lives, you're over here talking about all these concepts and philosophies. Where do I have time to do this, right? Time is the big thing that everyone's like, yeah, this is all cool, and if I had the time to do it, I would totally do it. If I had the time, I would do it. My challenge to everyone is, We don't have time. We make time, right? We make time for what is important to us. If it is important to you, you do make time. If it is not important to you, you make excuses. That's 100% true in your personal life, your professional life, relationships, fitness, everything. Everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. Every single human being on this earth has the same 24 hours. What you choose to do with those 24 hours is 100% up to you and controllable by you. 
And until you can accept that, you won't have the time. You'll have excuses. So you have to make the time. First thing you have to do in order to make the time is you have to make these items a priority. You have to make improving your product a priority. And then you have to make your standards that you decide on non-freaking negotiable. You can never not do those standards. You have to check that box every single freaking day in order to make progress forward. So you have to make the time. Again, if it's important, you will make the time. If it's not important, you will make the excuse. And I will argue with anybody, anytime, anywhere about how important this should be in terms of your product. It has so many, so many potential good byproducts or bad byproducts based on what we're able to do with our product. If we can improve it, staffing improves, census improves, revenue improves, status in the company improves, your experience improves, your value as an employee improves, right? If we don't get it right, all those things opposite, right? Everything goes, turnover goes up, revenue goes down, census goes down, stress goes up, pressure goes up, surveys get worse. Those are all things we don't want to happen. So it is the most important thing is to figure out how to make time for your priorities. One of the things that I think was a good thing from COVID, there's not very many, but we did a really good job of deleting the inessential things, inessential personnel, inessential reports, inessential travel time to offices that didn't really need to happen, um, visitors from people that didn't need to be in the building to begin with. And we did a lot of things to really focus on what was critically important, taking good care of fragile residents and making our staff feel safe. We focused on those things. We cut out a lot of other stuff, a lot of other bullshit, honestly. But like humans, we get a little removed from an emergency, a situation or whatever, and we then start adding back in stuff that doesn't need to be there. And that's where we're at now. Right. We're right back to kind of where we were before. We're doing all the same stuff. We've dumped back in a bunch of inessential stuff and now we don't have time. Now we're stressed out. Now I don't have time to focus on this. Now I'm going to butcher this next part because I'm not really smart and I don't speak Latin. But the word decision comes from a Latin word. It has Latin roots. This is where I'm going to butcher it. But it's de cadre, right? De cadre in Latin is a combination of two words. De is off and cadre is cut. And so that's the, the Latin root of a decision. So you have to decide, you have to make the decision to cut off what is not important, what's not essential. Look at, if you want, you want to find some time, you want to find some time right now. Pick up your phone, go to the settings and check your screen time. Check your screen time, I guarantee you. You have a couple of hours, if not more, time that you're wasting on social media, on different apps, on games, on whatever, right? And maybe that's, that, maybe that's something that you need in your life. Maybe that's, that's an outlet for you. So I'm not here to judge on that. But I will tell you, if you can eliminate, minimize that, replace that with some productive planning, mitigation planning, investing in your staff, bettering your product, that's a hell of a lot better than, you know, I don't know what games are popular these days, but whatever. It's a hell of a lot better than playing whatever game you do on your phone. 
So you have to look at, find, sit down. Like I said, do your mitigation plan, but also sit down and map out your day. What does your day look like from when you wake up to when you go to sleep? You got other priorities outside of work? Understandable. Absolutely. Family, kids, the stuff that's way more important than everything we're talking about. You know, the humans that actually really depend on you in every way, shape or form. Um, Those things are the most important. So where can you prioritize your time? Where can you maximize your time and cut out the inessential? Go through, be honest with yourself again, back to honest assessment. What, what time do you wake up? Can you add an hour? Can you stay up an hour later, right? If you can add two hours to your day anywhere, that gives you another calendar month of hours. That gives you 30 days of hours throughout the calendar year if you can add two hours to every day, whether that's two hours less screen time, whether that's waking up an hour earlier and going to bed an hour later, whether that's um, eliminating some TV time, right? We're getting ready for football season. It started. We're ramped up for week two. You know how many hours people sit on their ass watching football? And I love football. I love football. My favorite, One of my favorite things in the world to watch. But guess what? I stopped watching football. I stopped drinking beer. And I'm a hell of a lot productive. And I, I'm able to achieve the goals that I set for myself. I found time to do all kinds of stuff I said I didn't have time to do before because I was sitting on my ass doing nothing. So find the time. Create the time. If it's important to you, you will. If it's not, you'll be sitting in the same exact situation. You'll be the victim. You'll be the person who just always gets dealt a shorthand and you won't ever make a difference in the facilities that you're in. A sustainable difference. You guys make differences every day. You impact lives every day. That's one of the beauties of the work that you do is you, you have such an opportunity to impact people on a daily basis. But it's not sustainable unless you fix the root cause of the problems. So, all right, went a little bit longer than we wanted to. We're at almost a 38-minute mark. Um, if you if you stuck through it, if you didn't get offended, if you're looking in the mirror going, hey, I need to do a little self-reflection, then, hey, this episode is worth it. But, again, product is so important. We can't outsell it. Remember, guys, it's all very simple. It's just not very easy. Be part of the group, the smaller group that's willing to do the work willing to put in the extra time, understanding there's no quick fix and embracing that there's no quick fix because you're going to get a lot of skills during the process of fixing it. Do it until you can't get it wrong. Don't do it until you get it right. Do it until you can't get it wrong and continue to focus on being the absolute best at every single standard you set and then you will get the best results. Appreciate it, guys. Like it, share it, tell your friends about it. Uh, If you don't like it, uh, keep your opinion to yourself. Just kidding. If you don't like it, tell me so I can fix it. But I really appreciate the time. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.